Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out onto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Amen. Uh, Folks, it would be great if you keep that passage open before you, the book of Philippians, and let's, let's just pray and ask God to, to speak to us. Um, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all the diversity that there is there. Thank you for all that we learned uh, recently in the book of Luke as we thought about Jesus, the Savior of the world. Be with us now as we drop in on this uh, part of your word, this letter that Paul wrote to a small church in a city a long time ago. Lord, we pray that the same spirit who was so clearly at work in Paul, uh, in his life, in his, his writing, that that same Holy Spirit might take the word and make it live in a new and appropriate way for us today. Amen. I want to start by just popping a slide up on the screen and ask you if you know who it is. Uh, do, do you know that character? I'll not ask you to shout out in case you get it. Hands up if you know. Just wondering what sort of cultural... Uh, that's not bad, not bad. Some people know. This is Joy. Joy is one of the characters in last year's 2015's Disney Pixar smash hit Inside Out. The film is is quite interesting. It's set in the mind of a young girl named Riley Anderson, uh, where five personified emotions. So there's joy, but there's also sadness, fear, anger, and disgust. They jostle, they bounce off one another, and they try to lead her um, as her family moved from Minnesota to San Francisco. So we get to look inside her head, if you like, uh, to see how her emotions respond uh, to this big upheaval that she has in her life. It's a fascinating uh, wee film, and it invites us, I think, all to think about our emotions, um, what they're up to, how they interact with each other, and how each one has an important role to play. Now, I can't possibly do justice to that movie. It's, it's a creative masterpiece. If you're interested, you need to watch that for yourself. 
But what I, I do want to talk about this morning is joy. Joy or happiness. Happiness is no laughing matter. It's the serious business of humankind, said James Houston, one time my professor and mentor at Regent College. He's right, isn't he? We all want to be happy. However we define it, we want our lives to be lives of joy. How's that going for you? Are you happy? If so, why, why is that? If you're not, why might that be? This week we asked our discipleship groups to think about a couple of questions to prepare us for what we're thinking about in church these days. First question, what makes you happy? And a second one, have a stab at finishing this sentence. I'd be happier if only. Some of you are coming to that question fresh, so I'll I'll give you a wee bit of thinking space. I'd be happier if only. If only I had a better job. If only I had a bigger house. If only I had more clothes. If only I had a partner. If only I had a better sex life. If only I had more likes on Facebook. There's a basic assumption, I think, that we can be prone to when we think about our happiness. And the assumption is that happiness depends on our circumstances. That happiness is outside in. If only I had more or better, then I'd be happy. If only my external circumstances were more optimal, then I'd be experiencing deep inner joy. Now, now the problem with that The problem with that way of thinking is that we're slaves then to our circumstances. When life goes well, when most of the circumstances fall well, then we're happy. But what about those seasons when they don't? When stuff isn't stacking up the way we would like? Any hope of deep or lasting joy eludes us. So we're starting this new series this morning. Um, I've called it Surprised by Joy. I better fess up straight away for any C.S. Lewis fans. There's no C.S. Lewis in this. Just stole the title, that's all. Um, We're going to be studying Paul's letter to the Philippians. It's got a reputation of being Paul's happiest letter. So... 14 times in the book, in the NIV translation anyway, I could see the word joy or rejoice. We've got our Bibles there. Let's, let's take just a couple of minutes. I'm not going to 
I'm not going to do a whole lot here this morning. Let's notice a couple, two or three of these joy passages. We've already read one of them this morning. Chapter 1, verse 4. Paul's telling his friends in Philippi that he's praying for them, and he says, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. There's a lot of alls in there. A lot of joy in his praying. Jump down to verse 18. It's a very different sort of part of the book. Um, He's talking about people who are preaching. He's locked up in prison, so he can't have his normal uh, itinerant preaching ministry. And he knows that there are other people who are almost, they're taking advantage of that. They're like rival preachers. They're saying, Paul's locked up, therefore we, we move in. Uh, maybe take his audience. We're, we're not quite sure what. But what does Paul say? Verse 18. What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. I'm happy. I don't want to do, as I say, a complete movie spoiler for Philippians. We'll leave a lot of the material just for, for when it comes up in the studies. But let me show you one more. Verse 20 onwards. Paul's having a very interesting wee debate with himself. He's, he's trying to work out, is it better that my life just ends and I go to be with the Lord? Or is it better that I stay and I'm able to continue the ministry to the people that I've been uh, involved with in these churches? He concludes that for the time being, it seems to suit God's purposes to keep him where he is. Look at verse 25. He says, I know that I will remain and I'll continue for all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. He wants to be able to pass on joy to the the folks in Philippi. So in this letter, Paul's talking a lot about joy, and that's, that's where we go with our title. It's, it's a book about joy. If you add to, as I say, there were 14 or so references to joy and gladness, or sorry, joy and rejoicing that I could see. If you add together moments where he talks about gladness or implies that he is happy, I think you get up to around about 20 references uh, in a very short four-chapter letter. So it's a, it's a letter all about joy. The interesting thing for me is that Paul doesn't spend most of his time saying, be joyful. Thank goodness. Can you imagine anything worse? Maybe, maybe you've experienced it recently, where somebody tells you, snap out of it, be happy. Oh, man. No, Paul doesn't really do a whole lot of that. Mostly, he is joyful, He talks about the joy that he has and he invites people to experience the same sort of joy. Um, I hope this doesn't be a series where for 10 weeks we tell you to be joyful. Uh, If it is, I think we'll all be thoroughly depressed by the time we're finished. We're calling the series Surprised by Joy. Why was it drawn to that title? What's the surprise? Well, the surprise is this, that While we often imagine that my happiness depends on my circumstances, for Paul, in this letter at least, his joy has little or nothing to do with his circumstances. His circumstances are awful. He's writing from a prison cell. 
he's got these preachers preaching, uh, you know, taking advantage of him being locked up, uh, rival preachers. By this stage in his ministry, we think Paul's probably been on the go for about 20 years. If you know anything about the kind of ministry that Paul exerted, there's just a chance, I think, that he might have been getting quite tired um, and that he might have been looking for something a little bit easier than first century imprisonment. So Paul's circumstances are, are not ideal. So the surprising thing here is that Paul doesn't seem to, to relate his sense of joy to his circumstances. He doesn't believe that joy is an outside-in experience. It's an inside-out experience. And in this letter, we're going to see that there's something inside Paul so, so fundamentally important, so life-changing, that his circumstances seem almost incidental in comparison to what it is that he has. For me, this makes Philippians a, a pretty revolutionary kind of a document. The message here is life-changing, and I'm hoping and praying that these 10 weeks we spend in Philippians will be life-changing for me. That's why I'm preaching it. Let me take a moment to briefly uh, put Paul's letter into its biblical context. You'll have seen these slides before. Um, I've said before, this, this diagram isn't as good as it might be. If you can do a better one for me, please do. Until somebody does, that one's the one we're running with, okay? So the offer's there. This shows all the books of the Bible. Um, the top row is the Old Testament, all the story of God's people before Jesus. Once you get to the bottom row, you're starting on the left-hand side in the pale blue with the Gospels, the Jesus stories. And of course, that's where we have been recently. We have been in the third of those pale blue books. We've been in Luke's Gospel learning about Jesus, the Savior of the world. But if you keep going, I, by the way, Luke is the only one who continues the narrative uh, that he started with Jesus and his disciples. The book of Acts is Luke part two, really. And Luke tells us about what happens with those followers of Jesus after Jesus ascends to heaven. But then the next section, big long section, is... Um, I was trying to work out what color that was to describe it to you. Is that lilac? I think it is. Yeah? The, the lilac section on our screen here are Paul's letters, 13 of them. So what you have here effectively is Paul, a church planter kind of a guy, goes around, starts new churches in different cities, but he keeps in contact with a lot of the churches that he's already planted by writing letters to them. So Paul planted the church in Philippi, helped establish it, and now he's writing a letter to them. And that's where Philippians fits into the whole of the Bible. I don't want to kill us this morning with overviews, so I'm going to show you quickly how a Pauline letter works. This will take one minute, and then we'll, we'll just try to, to land the thing and get started our thinking. A Pauline epistle has six constituent elements. So the first one is that you always get the name of the writer. So in this case, it's not just Paul, it's Paul and Timothy. Um, the second element is the name of the recipient. So it's like what we would call the address. Who are you writing to? Uh, so our letters, the name of the writer is usually at the end, but they start their letters. I think it's a good idea, actually. If I could ask for a swap there, I'd go for it. Who's writing? 
Okay. Name of the writer, name of the recipient. The third element is, is usually a greeting. So formally, you, you start by greeting people, and, and we have that in verse 2. Then Paul's letters in particular usually have a prayer or a thanksgiving, and the majority of our passage this morning dealt with a, a thanksgiving prayerfulness on Paul's part. And then the biggest chunk comes what we might call the body of the letter. What's the letter about? Why, why is he writing? What, what, what are his issues? What's he wanting to raise with the community? And then just very briefly at the end, there's a, a farewell greeting. Don't, don't need to worry too much about that. Just showing you that there is a structure and a form to these letters. We're going to deal this morning just with the first two verses of chapter one, and they already deal with the first three of those constituent elements. So very, very quickly, who is the writer It's Paul, the great missionary of Jesus Christ. He'd once hated Jesus. He'd once given his life to persecuting people who followed Jesus until he met Jesus on a road to a city called Damascus. And Jesus changed his life, turned him upside down, changed him forever. That's who's writing this letter, Paul. He's got Timothy with him. Who's Timothy? Well, he's a young man who's come to the faith in Paul's ministry. And from then on, Paul keeps Timothy beside him and says, let's do a lot of this ministry together. Paul and Timothy. Second, who's the recipient? It's the church in Philippi, to all the saints in Christ Jesus in Philippi. Philippi, we'll flick the map up. There it is. It's right up in northeastern Greece. Um, see Troas on the map there? Uh, the wee island below that, I think, is Lesbos, the one that you're seeing in the news all the time, uh, that the immigrants from Syria and so on are coming through, just to place it on the map for you. So Philippi's up there. It's, there's an important trade route that runs from Rome over to Byzantium or Constantinople, um, and Philippi's on that trade route. So I don't know, is it like, is it Dundalk in Irish standards? You know, it's, uh, that's not to be disparaging. Uh, I hope there aren't any Dundalk people. I'm just trying to say it's, 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 on, a, it's on the motorway between some uh, big important cities. This church in Philippi is a mostly Gentile church, and we'll get a chance to talk a little bit more about the makeup of the church as we go uh, and see why it's quite unique. It actually comes through in an important way in, in Paul's, uh, what Paul has to say to them. So that's who we're, we're thinking of. And the greeting, I'm not going to do much with it today, just point it out to you. Verse 2, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I hadn't intended to do a whole lot and to microanalyze Philippians for you today. What I wanted to do instead was to flag up what its main concern is. And and I maybe want to finish this morning by asking you to think about why. Somebody asked me when they heard we were preaching Philippians, they asked me why. And that's a great question. I don't know if it feels this way or not, but it might surprise you to know that I, I try to choose very carefully 
which parts of God's word I lead us to at a particular moment in our church's life. It's not arbitrary. So I had been thinking about why we might preach Philippians, why we might do it in Kirkpatrick, and why we might do it now. I've chosen to preach Philippians in Kirkpatrick now because I think I could learn a whole lot from the Apostle Paul. This deep, deep joy that he finds in Jesus Christ despite his circumstances. You see, there are times in my life and they're more regular than I would care to admit when I sense a lack of joy in my own life. And I'll, I'll say this, I'm, I'm your pastor. I'm the person who stands in the middle of this whole congregation, so I see a lot. I don't think I'm alone in that. Now, I'm aware um, of the kinds of things that cause unhappiness or lack of joy in our lives. Of course I am. In, in a church family as, as large as this, the issues of, of heartache are never far away from at least some of us, uh, some of the time. So there are those issues that we, we know about. There's bereavement. There's illness. Um, we know about the pressures that people feel in, the, in their workplaces or even as students trying to achieve and to pass exams or whatever. But there are different kinds of lacks of joy too. There's, there's boredom. There's that lack of fulfillment, long-term lack of fulfillment in our lives or in our occupations. Some of us here are, expo- uh, are experiencing forms of heartache that have to do with our families uh, and the relationships that, that we are part of. Some of us are going through our version of a midlife crisis. I celebrated a birthday this week, a bingo birthday, all the fours, 44. I'm ripe for, I'm ripe for all of this. I, I wonder sometimes, am I experiencing a little of it? Some of the things that rob us of joy aren't as obvious as you might think. If, if, if I could encourage you to do one thing, go home and think about what I've talked about today about joy, whether you have it, why you don't. It's not all as obvious as you might think. Last year I came across an article that really resonated with me um, and it made me think of our church family. A survey from Action for Children revealed that a quarter of mums and dads feel alone and isolated. It revealed a shocking level of loneliness among young parents. So so let's try and put together some things we've done here in church today. We've celebrated with a few families the birth of their new young children. And that is a great moment of joy for those families. But the truth is, being parents in young families is proving to be a difficult 
ask for a lot of us too. And I was grateful for whoever triggered this research or, or who noticed this. The, the research went on to say a few things. It says a quarter of, of parents feel alone, they feel isolated. People feel more cut off than they've ever felt in their lives before. 22% of parents admitted to feeling this way. 7% of the parents polled said they always feel lonely. 17% saying that they often do. The research showed that the problem gets worse when, when there are more children. I guess it's when the domestic responsibility escalates. 26% feeling alone after a second baby. 37% of parents feeling cut off from friends by the time they have three or more children. Folks, I get this. In the 12 years that I've been the minister of Kirkpatrick Memorial, my responsibilities at home and my responsibilities in, so my home family and my church family have both escalated in, in huge ways. The interesting thing for me is that all of those escalated responsibilities are actually blessings. They're great things. So I'm a bit torn when I talk about this. I, there's nothing bad here. But I do notice a, a circumstance that can lead to a loss of joy. It's these ever-present responsibilities. It's the loss of spontaneity, uh, freedom. I don't know how to spell that word anymore. You know? Loss of joy. I need some help. Uh, sorry, I, just to be clear, I pursued that particular issue because I thought it was a kind of a hidden one, but I thought it was one that was relevant to a good number of us. I go back to where I started. I recognize all of the issues that can lead to a loss of joy in our lives, just to be clear about that. I need some help, and maybe you do too, I need some help to get some perspective, some godly perspective, some gospel perspective. I need help not, not to escape the life that I'm living. or I'm not interested in that. I don't want a midlife crisis. I want something a little bit more robust and mature than that. I want to learn to deal just a wee bit better with my circumstances as they actually are, with the life that I've actually been given. And that's why I'm drawn to Philippians. And I wonder if, if I'm not alone, whether together we might learn a whole lot from Paul's revolutionary we document. I want to learn about happiness, a happiness that doesn't depend on circumstances, that's inside out. Folks, I'm not giving too much away when I tell you that Paul's source of joy is the life that's inside of him because of Jesus Christ. This life that's welling up in him, that's so, it's so dynamic that it doesn't matter if you lock him up, it doesn't matter if he's staring death in the face, he can rejoice. 
He's sure that his friendship with Jesus will sustain him for the difficulties of this life and carry him safely through to whatever lies ahead. His desire to be with Jesus doesn't, means he doesn't fear anything. No wonder he's happy. No wonder he can say, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say it, rejoice. So here we go. Surprised by joy. I feel like I've started you with a bit of a downer by asking you to think of all the ways in which you lack joy. Maybe that's okay. Maybe a bit of honesty gets us off to a good start as we wait for God's grace and work in our lives. I just want to finish with an invitation. I want to invite you to access what we're doing here and to do it in whatever way is going to work best for you. Read Philippians. Depending on whether you're a fast or slow reader, it'll take you 15 to 20 minutes. And when you've finished reading it, read it again. Read it every day for the 10 weeks of our series. See if just being in Paul's company, getting a feel for the joy that he has, whether some of that might be infectious and what might transfer, God might lead, lead you into the same joy. Come here, listen to the Sunday morning teaching. If you miss a week, pick up the podcast. Keep up with what we're doing here in church. Come along to discipleship groups. Um, I've encouraged you today to try and be a wee bit honest about this. It's okay to go back to your group next time and say, do you know what? Not that happy. But I'm willing to, I'm willing to, to be all ears, see if the Lord has something for me. I chose to preach Philippians because I wanted to change my life. And I'm asking you to enter into it with a similar openness that it might change yours too. Shall we pray? Father God, um, when we start to think about our joy or our lack of it, we almost recoil from that. We'd almost rather not think about any joylessness that we're experiencing because it hurts to think about that. It's easier maybe just to pretend, to gloss things over. Father God, we know that you long for us to live lives that are full to overflowing. Jesus, you told us, and unless you're telling us an untruth, you told us that you'd come to give life and life to the full, life that overflows. Well, Lord, we're living a lot of us life to the empty where nothing's flowed for years. So come, we pray. Come in your word as we uh, open this book together. 
Come by your spirit. We don't need just new thoughts, Lord. We need new life. And we pray that you'd bring it. So, Lord, we welcome you. And we say, come and surprise us with the kind of joy only you can bring. Amen.